So, Sue, have you had much to do with strata lawyers in <gasps> your long <laughs> career? Yes, and some of them are extremely good, and right. some of them are not great. Not as yeah. good. Yeah, no, that's right. And it's it's funny because um, I guess all lawyers, you know, you get good and bad and mm. they have different specialities all the time. But um, they can tend to be really nice or they can tend to be really aggressive. Yeah, and, it's like uh, that old joke. That it's only a tiny minority that make the other 2% seem bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be talking about strata lawyers later on. We'll be talking to author, uh, tour guide, man of many talents, Grant Hyde, about what you do when you want to publish that book that's been lying in the bottom drawer of your desk. And now you've got the time to do it, finish it, how you get it online. And Sue's going to be talking about some of the big, big apartment developments coming up in the very near future. I'm Jimmy Thompson. And I'm Sue Williams. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. I got an email from someone and it contained a copy of a lawyer's letter that had been sent to them. Now, I don't want to go into any detail or too much detail, but basically this is a long-running dispute with one owner in an apartment block and she's got herself offside with the committee, but she has genuine grievances and it seems like she goes to NCAT, she gets a ruling and the that they have to fix the they problems. have to fix the problems, and the committee does the absolute minimum, and it's obviously very very personal, which is nasty enough. But then she gets a letter from a lawyer, and this is a well known strata lawyer, uh, and it's so aggressive. It's saying things like, because you've written X number of emails in the last five or ten years, that means you are a vexatious litigant which means that when we go to NCAT on this issue, you're going to get it thrown out and you're going to have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars in costs. And there were other things in it. It made me think, is that an appropriate way for a strata lawyer to behave? Absolutely not. I mean, strata lawyers, I think, should be great mediators because... Mm. There are so many conflicts within strata buildings and the people still have to carry on living there afterwards mm. unless, you know, they end up leaving. Yeah. But um, that's never their first choice. So strata lawyers, I think, have a real responsibility to work with both sides of an issue and try and find an outcome that's the least unsatisfactory for both, really. <laughs> the it's, least it's, unsatisfactory. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say, okay, I'm in this the committee and I'm getting we've had years of dispute with this owner and I want a lawyer who's going to go in with all guns blazing I mean am I not entitled to ask a lawyer to go in and really kick some butt and bully if need be because that is this is bullying absolutely but I guess you have to decide whether the person who's complaining do they have a legitimate grievance and in mm. this case we both know this woman does have a legitimate grievance yeah so therefore it's really irresponsible to make a lawyer behave as an attack dog well interestingly enough um, when that case then went to the tribunal the committee lost again again so all those threats and this is something that bugs me you know people come along and say i've got a lawyer's letter that says this and you have to go well great that's not doesn't make it the law 
Mm. It's just one lawyer's opinion that they might not even believe. It's a horrible way to try and bully people, I think, the threat of litigation, because, you know, it can be incredibly expensive Mm. and it really makes people very, very nervous, Mm. especially when it's their own home. You know, it's bad enough in any other walk of life to have some litigation or a threat of litigation, but... Mm. When it's your own home... And you could face losing your home if everything goes against you. Yeah, that's really intimidating. And it's bloody awful. I mean, just reminded me of that case in Manly of the the chairman who sued a tenant for uh, defamation because of an email that she'd sent around. And in the first instance, won something like $60,000. And then on appeal, lost that payment, but had to pay something like $140,000 in costs for both sides. And it's the stress of those kind of legal cases as well. Mm. I mean, we've both been involved in some of them over the over the time with strata problems, but the stress can take an incredible toll, mm. and it really is quite damaging. It's... So, so what do you do? Do you ask Fair Trading to send a message out to lawyers and say, can you just tone it down a bit? I think that would be a really good idea. Or you talk to the um, the Lawyers Community Association and talk to them and say, don't you have some resp- responsibility for making sure your lawyers behave in a more appropriate way? And they will say no. They will say our responsibility is to the client. Oh, so, well. so when the client comes in and says, we're sick of this person, they keep complaining about us, the lawyer is going, well, my job. It's like being a defense lawyer in, in, in a criminal case. The defence lawyer's job is not to discover whether or not the person is guilty or innocent. Their job is to defend the person against the accusations. And this is different to it. A, is, in, it in is. It is. It's totally law. different. Yeah. You've got individuals against the community, basically. Uh, occasionally, you get individuals against individuals, but it's individuals against the community or individuals against the developer or the community against the developer. And at least one side of that equation, there are people who cannot afford to go in, you know, and fight every inch of the way against lawyers. I mean, we've seen it at close hand when you, when a developer, a huge multinational corporation, just brings in, you know, half a dozen uh, special counsels to argue their case. And you've got one solicitor and maybe a special counsel if you can afford it. And it's just an uneven battle. And it shouldn't be a battle at all. No. And the only ones who win from that are the lawyers from their fees. Absolutely. And I think it is their responsibility to try and hose things down, to try and take the emotion out of the arguments. Yeah. Because how many lawyers end up being hired by an executive committee, bully an owner, and then in the end, because of the behaviour, the executive committee don't get re-elected. Yeah. The, the owner kind of assembles his own group right. of people. They take, take over the executive committee, and then that lawyer gets sacked anyway. Yeah. And they take on another lawyer, a different lawyer. So, yeah. you know, it would be in a, a lawyer's interest to behave fairly and amicably with everyone, really. Well, we know lawyers, and one of them was on this podcast a few weeks ago, who will sit down with you and say, look, here's, here's the law. This is the right and wrong. And here's your chances of success in pursuing this case. And this is how much it will cost you. And there's no guarantee that you're going to win. So they lay it out for their client in a way that makes them aware of all the possibilities and consider whether they want to go ahead with this. But if you've got a committee coming in and going, we are sick of this person and we want to smash them. And the lawyer goes, yep, I'm your man or I'm your woman. 
I will go in there and smash them. At the end of the day, the lawyer still gets paid. Mm. And the community has taken another severe blow to the harmony of the whole building. We're getting more and more Americanized in our legal system here. But I really think that fair trading and the equivalent in Victoria and the equivalent in Queensland need to sit down with strata lawyers and say, your job is to resolve conflict, not cause it. Mm, yeah, and, and as quickly and as effectively and efficiently as possible. And if that means that your bottom line, your profits isn't as great as it might be, well, that's tough. But I think it's for the greater good of the community, it's resolution rather than aggression is, is the way to go, I think. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think too many lawyers are behaving extremely badly and aren't being pulled up for it. So it's good that you've brought up this subject, Jimmy. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'll probably be getting legal letters now from lawyers saying, I was that horrible lawyer. (laughs) You have defamed me because everybody knows I'm horrible. So it could only possibly be me that you're talking about. When we come back, we're going to take a bit of a diversion. We've been talking about what to do when you're at home in the lockdown, which is easing a bit, but it's people are still not back at work and they won't be back at work in some places for a while. We've done the whole exercise thing a couple of weeks ago, which people seem to like. This week, we're talking about that great unfinished novel that so many of us have mm. on the bottom drawer of a desk somewhere. Now is now the time to drag it out. Just occurred to me, you know, if it's if you started it too long ago, it's probably on a floppy disk somewhere. <laughs> you got <laughs> you got no way of reading it. But if you can still access it on your computer, how do you? F- finish it off, and how do you get it published online? We'll be talking to a man of many talents, Grant Hyde, and uh, that's after this. And we're back. Well, today, again on Zoom, we're joined by our very good friend, uh, the multi-talented Grant Hyde. If the audio quality isn't up to the usual standards, it's because we're feeding various voices through computers, but uh, this is Grant Hyde. Well, as we all know, we've been locked down in the lockdown, and all of us have been trying to find different things to do. And one of the things that many people have been doing is taking those writing projects out of their bottom drawer, dusting them off, and seeing if they're worth finishing. Somebody who has finished quite a lot of books and has actually spent some time getting them out into the marketplace is our very good friend, Grant Hyde, who's with us today. Hello, Grant. Jimmy. Hello, Sue. How are you going? Good to speak to you. Now, um, before we go any further, I mean, I know you've written a lot of books, but there's a reason that you're not Uh, out at work at the moment and that is because your two of your main jobs are connected with tourism what should you be doing right now that's correct jimmy uh i'm out um i'm stood down with my Qantas job i work on the ramp out there at the airport a nice uh easy cruisy fun job but um, (laughs) no one's flying at the moment right so i'm uh i'm stood down uh and also um i run a uh tour company with one of my Aboriginal friends from Mount Larp Roos. Yeah. And uh, we do a lot of schools and international tourists and such, but as we all know, they're all shut down as well. Hopefully the um, excursions will kick off again within the next month, which, right. which will help a little bit. But uh, <laughs> so usually with your tours, you, you go for a, a walk through the, the bush around La Perouse, is that right? And kind of look at, yeah, yeah. look at it from an Aboriginal point of view. 
That's correct. We, uh, I talk about the uh, first contact with the uh, arrival of Europeans there and uh, Tim and his daughter and Les and Wes and all the guys that we use, uh, all local Indigenous guides. Oh, that's um, Tim very, Ella you're talking about, the youngest of the Ella brothers. That's one of the, the famous Ella brothers. Um, he wasn't a big rugby fan. He was more a rugby league fan. So, all right. He's uh, he went to the dark side. We won't, we won't talk about that. <laughs> kind of like yourself, because uh, you used to play a bit of rugby league too, didn't you? And you had about four years at the Roosters. Um, that right. was good fun. Made some good friends there. Learned a lot. Um, I think I wasted my chance, as every young man thinks. <laughs> that kind of leads us into one of your books, because uh, you have just published a book about the perils and and dangers of young men in professional sport i did i uh it had to be self-published uh, a few um a few publishers i had a look at this and they pretty much uh cringed when they saw the title and, and what, what is what the title footy fame and cocaine i called it right um <laughs> there was yeah. you know it's a it's a redemption story it's a lot more to it than just football players getting drunk and touching up girls yeah there's a lot of uh, issues going on with young men as we see uh in the sporting world the drugs and alcohol and uh you know and failed relationships and um yeah and that's what i've brought to life in this i brought the beautiful eastern suburbs late 80s and 90s back to life and it was it was it was really quite cathartic writing it because um it was right. a lot of things i hadn't really really dealt with with death of my father and such so they, that was in the book and it really it sort of helped me sort of clear all that stuff from my mind. And I think one of yeah. the most popular kind of ways of writing is memoir and maybe some of our listeners would really fancy kind of putting pen to paper and writing a bit of memoir, you know, from their own life. Is that kind of hard or easy to do? Well, you're writing about something you know. It's easy. Easy. You don't have to, you're not studying anything. You're writing about... And you know what I, I think? It's you're leaving a, a moment in time for your family to read one day. Mm. Like you're, you're, you're leaving a, a, a bit of a legacy for your children and your grandchildren to get to know you a little bit. You know? And uh, that's what I've found so wonderful about the writing that I've done and having two books published as well, that I have a little legacy there. And people read my books and then they speak to me or ring me after it or contact me and they feel like they know me, which is, which is nice. But, how many books have you written all up? I've got two published. I've self-published this 40 Fame and Cocaine. Yep. I've got, I was paid a, a third book in the, in the two book series of the historical fiction, which was yeah. Lords of the Pacific and the follow-on standalone sequel was Islands of Gold. Yeah. But I had a third book called Trader's Bay. Right. It was uh, set around the, um, the whaling and the sealers arriving in New Zealand in the early 1800s and uh, how their presence and, and the presence of muskets changed pretty much New Zealand's dynamics in regards to tribal warfare and such. That's three three novels from the sailing ship era, two of which are on bookshelves somewhere. And the other one, the third one, are you going to put that out as a, a self-published online book or what are you planning to do with that? Well, the, the football one self-published and the third in the sailing series will just be, it's the carbon's being done now, which will, talk about the covers a bit later um the covers being done for a self-publish in that as well so right. these books have been written they've been sitting in my uh, document file for years and you know uh if no one wants to publish them then the technology is available now for us to get it out there and 
if 10, 15, 20, 100 people read it, so be it. At least it's out there. And yeah, enjoying that's it. fantastic. And so if people are thinking they're a little bit bored during this period, how do they actually get started? How, can you, how do you get started on your writing process? Well, you, you and I had the same agent for a long time in Selwyn and Anthony, and uh, many people used to ask her that same question. Oh, I'll just steal what she said. She said, just start. Start with your best story. Right. <laughs> Just get get into it. Start with the best story and then work from there and you know, backfill it if you have to. And it'll you know, if if you if you've got a little bit of writing ability, you know what it'll metamorphosize and take its own direction and shape. As you guys know of being authors yourself, it, it rarely the book rarely finishes how you intended this tended it when you're mm. starting huh? Mm. we were just talking about that yesterday how we both start with mud maps of uh, how we want our books to progress and then about halfway through you throw them away because you know the book takes on a life of its own but that's wonderful isn't it yeah, when they... characters start doing their own stuff and you kind of you just feel you're almost along for the ride you're not guiding them at all they're just it's great when they become alive on the page and you're just kind of 100%. following and tracking their progress really that's it. You bring them to life, don't you? There. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Those characters, and they do. Um, they do grow on you as well. Uh, this, the latest one I did, Footy Fame and Cocaine. The main character is fictional, of course, and and, yeah. and all the predicaments are, are based on a fact. But I like to exaggerate it. But uh, right, he's a little chunk <laughs> of me, a little bit of my dad, a little bit of blokes I've played with. So, oh, that's but, fantastic. Um, and how hard was it, it to is. publish yourself? Was that quite an easy process, or was it a big? Well, I spoke. Well, I did yeah. some research. It was the, the Kindle Direct Publishing. So yeah, yeah. to be the easiest for me. I, I'm, I'm no computer genius, but I'm not hopeless. Mm. But um, this was pretty easy. You could just upload off a Word document. Um, you had to still go through it and check where you'd overlap words and where the chapters ended. And, and after yep. a bit of fiddling around, you know, probably three, four hours overall. Um, That's pretty I got good. It all right. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was. It was really good. It was a bit harder with the print, with the paperback version, mm. because you have to have the have it all fitted into their template. But if you do do that, which which you should, um, yep. you've got to use their templates. That's the one tip. And when you've got your graphics ready to go, use their template for that as well for the covers and such. What you're talking about, I mean, just for listeners who might not realise it, and the, the first instance we were talking about um, online books that is you know um, books that you'd read on a kindle or or a screen of some sort ebooks i think is the correct word sue is signaling to me <laughs> and and the other one is publish on demand i guess is the the phrase for that and that's where somebody sees the book online listed and they say i want to buy this book and somebody somewhere presses a button and the book gets printed and bound and sent out by mail i mean is that what you're talking about with kindle direct Kindle paperback is uh, actually they print it out for you and make a book right. for you. Right. Um, at the moment, I can't seem to be getting any copies. Uh, I tried to find out what was going on. It looks like it's the corona issue. Right. Um, having it sent from America, I believe. Right. But um, at, at the moment, I'm not too fussed by that. I'm just going to have a look into that when uh, the whole situation dies down. Once again, it, it, there's no rush. It just these books sit there and and mm. there's no big rush for things. You get it sorted eventually. I'd like to get a couple of paperbacks. Dealing with the older generation, they just will not read it off a phone and such. So no. we, you really do need to get, get that sorted. And, and maybe that um, print-on-demand is, is the option for me if yeah. I can't send yeah. you to sort and this out. 
And it's surprising the quality of the print-on-demand books. It's not bad at all. I mean, it's not quite up there with a professionally published book that you would get in Dimmocks, but it's pretty close. Yeah, and also audiobooks is another avenue, isn't it, really, where you actually read your book onto a tape and, uh, well, not tape, that's a very old-fashioned yeah. thing, isn't it, really? But where you actually have an audiobook because their sales are doing incredibly well at the moment, you know, with people going out jogging in the park or mm. um, going for a walk or just sitting at home kind of feeling bored they're just listening to audiobooks more and more which is a fantastic thing as well yeah yeah is didn't your first well, book get published as an audiobook am i uh, the first the first two yeah they they um they really sold well because um as you probably know 80 percent of books are bought by women um, right women are the big readers they're not too big into the male action stuff uh, they right. might buy them for their husbands but the people that do want that male action stuff are the courier drivers, the truck drivers, uh, the men that are going for a jog. A lot of it's the people on the long hauls doing driving and stuff. Right. They really pick up on the men's stuff. And I sold a fair bit because mine are boys' own sort of adventure stuff. Uh, right. Set in the early, early uh, late 1700s in the Pacific. You know. So it's very violent and do you have that on the cover this is a very violent book <laughs> maybe, maybe you know you what could. i can seem to write violence much better than love stories funny funny enough maybe all those years of rugby league yeah battering the head into other smelly men <laughs> um what about the cover tell us about your process with the cover i'm fortunate i've got a uh, good mate of mine and um he's a graphic designer yeah um He's big impact graphics. He is, and he does covers. He does some great stuff, and uh, he uh, he put it together for me. And um, you know, a couple of meals out, and and uh, I, I shouted him and his kids, and and he put me together a, a great one. He put it in the right format, and he he's very computer literate. So he looked. I let him log on and see what they actually needed. Right. Um, and now he's he just does it with ease now. He's really um, cost-effective too. If anyone wants to get hold of him, he's, uh, it's called Big Impact Graphics. He does a lot of things like that and he's right. wonderful. We'll put a link for Big Impact Graphics on the, the show notes uh, that go online with this uh, podcast. So Big Impact Graphics. I mean, it does make a huge difference, doesn't it, getting a professional cover done? A hundred percent. And the thing was, I give him four, three or four chapters of the book to read and then yep. he gets his head around. He's got a talent for it. Yeah. And he comes back, comes back with the greatest stuff. I don't know uh, if you've seen that first of that cover of my footy fame and cocaine. Yeah. Um, I had to have something a bit dodgy on the cover, something to catch your eye. So we yeah. went to the dodgiest pub in the eastern suburbs right. and um, took photos of the toilets. And uh, then we could show women's pair and man's pair of feet under the door. Can imagine it's a, bit, it's a very, very good cover, i got to say. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. and Fletch came up with that idea as soon as I showed him the, the actual title, yeah. so we didn't even... But, um, it does help yeah, if so, you get but, them to read a bit, because uh, the last book I had published, uh, the publisher sent it off to the graphic artist, and uh, the book was mostly set in Vietnam, and so there was all this lovely Asian graphic stuff. But I had to point out it was it was all Japanese, it was all Japanese pagodas and things like that. And I'm going, oh, really? This is this is great, but it's not Vietnam. And, and the guy, far north. And the, and the publisher said, "Well, it's Asia." I, I read that book, Jimmy. That was a great little uh, romp. That I enjoyed that. 
All right, thank you very much. Yeah. I knew somebody yeah, read yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so what yeah. what are you working on now? Are you have you got plans for any more books or? Well, as I said, I had that book Traders Bay that never was published, so I, I've just um, just started reading through that again and, and really giving it a clean up. I'm going to have to cut probably twenty thousand words out of it, but it's, it's not too hard. So there's a full book finished. Um, but I just need to do a re-edit on it. I think I'm going to call that the Maori Wars. All right. Because it was based, based on the musket wars yep. of the 1820s odd. English were bringing muskets in for, they'd exchange it with the Maoris for, uh, well, they, they could do a two-week sex contract with a, with a nice <laughs> Maori girl and, and it cost the Englishman a musket and a dress. Right. So <laughs> everyone won. Yeah, and your books you know are available on... Amazon, I guess. Is that right? Amazon, yep, yep. You just type in my name, Grant Hyde, or type in Lords of the Pacific or Islands of Gold or Footy Fame and Cocaine. They'll all come up, all available yep. on, on Amazon. I, I believe you're up to your eyes in the garden as well as writing books. <laughs> I, I've never felt so relaxed in my life. I've, I've gone from eight-hour shift at Qantas to do two tours in one day yeah. to nothing. I get up and... I was in my pajamas all day yesterday. We all know that. Kadoo Tours. If people want to find out more about that, is it kadootours.com.au? .com.au. That's correct. Yeah, and, and we offer lots of fun experiences. You'd be amazed at what this ocean land here, Darwa land, Sydney, the Sydney coastal Sydney, can uh, the the treasures and secrets it's got hidden. The indigenous people were, yeah. Uh, treated so badly they weren't about to share their secrets with with the invader right but now those times have changed and, and the plant life the bush comes to life when you go for a walk with these guys all right it's incredible well i've done it once from, uh, a while ago and, and uh, once we're all allowed to move around freely i might just do it again because it was a fantastic experience grant thank you very very much for coming on and talking to us thanks very much it's a pleasure guys great great to hear your Lovely voice, Sue. I know about you, Jimmy. It's a bit rough, that Scottish brogue. But uh, Sue's yeah, always I make, I make up for it in charm. <laughs> of course you do. All right. Talk to you soon, mate. Thanks. Good on you, guys. That was great, Jimmy. And it reminded me of um, an unfinished book that I started once. And uh, I had it all printed out. And unfortunately, my cat peed on it. Really? Yes, and I couldn't get rid of the smell. <laughs> so, so the reviews on Amazon were, this book stinks. <laughs> I didn't really quite know what to do with it, so I ended up putting it in a plastic box and putting it in the storeroom <laughs> because really? I couldn't bear to throw it away. And I sort of tried to wash it, but it, all the print smudged. Mm. So I just kind of put it in this box. So one right. day I'll go in there to try and retrieve this book and uh, I'll be overpowered by the smell, probably. <laughs> it's probably, probably turned into alcohol now. I'm sure Grant never has those kind of problems. No, no, no. Grant is quite an inspir inspirational guy. I mean, he just never stops. You know, like, and and he, he started that business, the Kadoo Tours thing, which I strongly recommend everybody checks that out. It's such an eye-opener to, to realise there's such a strong Aboriginal culture so close to the city centre. He and Tim Ella just came up with that idea themselves and they've worked it up and it's now a really professional oper operation. Schools go through and all these kids are just, their eyes literally wide open when they hear all these stories and, and see Tim pick a berry off a tree and eat it. It's just amazing. Yeah. And they've had lots of great Aboriginal school kids do it as well and they've become really 
kind of woken up to their heritage. Yeah. And then obviously lots of, you know, European, Australian school kids as well who yeah. um, just are, are blown away by some of the tales they tell. Yeah. And, and he is a good storyteller. That, that you could probably tell from that track. Uh, after this, Sue's going to tell us about a fantastic new development and the tallest apartment building in Sydney. So, Sue, you were at a topping out ceremony the other day. Yes. What um, is topping out? Has that got anything to do with cake? <laughs> you wish. <laughs> um, it has something to do with crisps. They served chips. Chips. Of the, of the thing rather than cake. But yes, the, the topping out ceremony is a traditional ceremony they hold when a building is almost completed, usually yeah. a you know, residential apartment building or a big commercial office building. They'll, they'll plant a tree on the roof of the building. All right. And all the construction workers and all the workers who've worked on the building will be there and they'll all kind of clap when the tree is up. Right. And they usually lift it up with a crane, obviously, and then plant it up there. Right. And it's a fantastic little ceremony and it's great because, you know, these projects can take months and months and months and yeah. many millions of dollars and it's just wonderful to see them finished, really. Acknowledge the completion of their hard work. Yeah. yeah. And so I went out to um, the topping out ceremony at Sydney Olympic Park the other right. day. And Mervac, the developer, was finishing off the tallest tower of its pavilions development, this big development of apartments and also their first project of build-to-rent apartments. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, that's that's finally finished. People are begin, going to be moving into the build-to-rent apartments in September. And the apartments for sale, they've already sold, I think, 75% of the apartments. And people right. will be moving in... They've moved into one building. They'll be moving into the big tower um, later on this year. Right. Now, the build-to-rent, who is the landlord in build-to-rent? Is it a company that owns all the apartments, or is it an investment group? Or It's not individual owners no. buying an apartment to rent out. No. I think either Mervac or another developer, if another developer ends up copying their model, keeps them and manages them. Right. Or maybe big superannuation funds might make an offer for them. But right. Mervac still manages them. So right. they've kind of got the reassurance of that really well-known top-tier brand, I yep. think, for people. But the thing about this topping out ceremony was because of COVID-19, Yes. usually, you know, lots of people get into the lift, all the construction workers, the developers, politicians. The, yep. the New South Wales treasurer was there. Oh, wow. Or journalists. We all get into the pile into a series of lifts and go up to the roof and watch it. But because only 10 people could be there... Right. <laughs> There was only one TV station and one newspaper, me, right. the Sydney Morning Herald. And the construction workers obviously couldn't gather around either. So they were all physically distanced on the balconies of this tall tower oh, right. looking down. Oh, wow. And because we couldn't all get into the lifts, um, they planted the tree in the landscape courtyard instead of on the uh, roof of the building. So it was kind of a, a topping out ceremony right. with a great difference. Yeah. <laughs> Topping down. <laughs> Topping, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of good fun, really. It was it was an interesting thing. And the, the ceremony came out, started the, the day after the new jobless figures turn, came out. You know, the revelation that there's going to be a 6.2% unemployment rate. Yeah. It's probably going to go up as yeah. JobKeeper starts winding down. Yeah. So that's 600,000 jobs have been lost nationally and 200,000 yeah. in New South Wales. So I was talking to the um, head of Mervac, um, yeah. Susan Lloyd Hurwitz, yeah. 
And she was talking about kind of an apartments-led recovery to the economy because construction has a big part to play yeah. in the economy. And if you can bolster up the construction industry, it can kind of try and drag the rest of the economy with it, really, in, in yeah. some small way. Because, you know, building construction contributes around $29 billion to the New South Wales economy wow. every year. It's quite wow. substantial. And $15 billion of that is in the residential and the rest is in commercial and industrial. Yeah. So it's actually a big chunk of money. The other thing that's come in has been increased discussion in social housing, you know, building housing, uh, like Housing Commission. I don't know if they still call it that, but what we used to call council housing, because there's a huge number of homeless people and, and people um, desperately trying to find accommodation that they can't find. Then they, they can't afford to buy housing because housing in, in New South Wales, certainly, and elsewhere in Australia is so expensive. There's a desperate need for affordable housing for people to rent and there's a desperate need to kick start the economy after the COVID-19 crisis it just seems like a perfect match but of course then ideology comes into it as will start to happen quite soon I think here in Australia where people will say well we don't want to be building social housing we want people to get jobs and work hard and buy their own places. That's right, but social a lot of social housing now is becoming quite sexy because social housing is often for those workers who need to be close to their place of work but can't actually afford to live close right. close by, so they're kind of commuting long distances. And lots of those, the neediest workers, the people mm. who do have jobs, are nurses, oh, yeah, police. firemen, yep. police, ambulance workers... And that kind of those kind of people are really sexy at the moment because of COVID nineteen, right. because of the bushfires as well. Yeah. So we really, for the first time, really, really want to help those people. Yeah. And so if developers start saying, "Well, look, I'm going to make some build to rent projects, and I'm going to keep maybe ten percent for social housing," that the government's going to be paying some money towards that, so people are going to be paying less rent. I think we're going to be quite um, supportive of developers doing that, really. And it's a great brand message for, for developers for them, as well. Yeah. Quickly moving on, you also found out about a new building. It's going to be the tallest building in Sydney. It's going to be even taller than Barangaroo. It probably isn't going to be social housing, I'm guessing. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, it's going to be the tallest residential tower All in, right. in Sydney. And um, it's going to be 43 stories wow. in the city centre, in the CBD. And it's going to be above the, the George Street cinemas. Right. And there's still a debate going on about the cinemas because I think they're hoping they're going to keep the cinemas. And yeah. I love those cinemas. I yeah, yeah, really yeah. think they hopefully will. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be 270 metres high, this residential tower. This is going to be built by Mervac as well. Uh -huh. And that's part of that huge $22.4 billion development pipeline that they've got that they're saying, you know, hopefully it's going to kickstart the economy. Yep. And so this massive tower, it's just one um, planning approval. So right. that's going to... So it's, it's green light and yep. gung-ho. Yep, absolutely. And that's going to be 500-odd apartments in the city centre. So that's really going to help the city centre keep going on towards becoming a really vibrant centre as well. Right. Oh, that's terrific. All right. Well, thanks for that. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about our Hey Martha's for the week. That's after this. And we're back. Sue, what is your Hey Martha for this week? <laughs> well, a friend in Britain sent me a link to a little video that was on YouTube where Matt Lucas from Little Britain 
was pretending to be Boris, the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson. Yeah, Boris Johnson. And uh, it was very funny because Boris Johnson, you probably caught up with him, He's he's been having lots and lots of criticism because he sent out the message to the British public, as, as we know, floundering under the, the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. And the message was so confusing. Everybody was really distressed because nobody quite knows what, what to do and what the rules and the regulations are now. Yeah. And uh, Matt Lucas parodied his speech, and he actually looked quite Boris-like as well. (laughs) And he was saying, go out, don't go out, stay in, don't stay in, do catch public transport, don't catch public transport. It was very funny. Right. We'll find that. We'll track it down. We'll put a link to that on the show notes. And What struck you this week? Well, I'm just, you know... We haven't quite reached 100 deaths from coronavirus in Australia. And, you know, we're starting to ease out of the lockdown. And I was looking at America and Britain and comparing. I mean, America, they have, what, 12 times the population that we have? So 12 times, if, and the equivalent would be 1,200 roughly people. They've got 80,000 deaths in America. And you think, all right, yeah, but you can't. You're comparing ducks and apples because Australia is roughly geographically the size of the USA, continental USA, but has a lot fewer people. But here's the thing. Australia is more urbanized than America. Really? We have a higher percentage of our populations live in cities and towns than do so in the United States of America and Britain. We're like the 30th most urbanized (laughs) country in the world. And Britain is like 33 and the USA is 35. So the comparisons are not invidious. It is the way it was handled. Our government got on top of this very, very quickly, were very brave and shut everything down and and made us all stay home and told us to stop whinging and get on with it. And we are not known for being the most placid people in the world and just going along with what the government tells us. <laughs> but we pretty much did it, you know. And unless there's a second wave comes through, and there's always a chance of that. And you have to look at the politicians in Britain and America and go, guys, you have no excuse. Mm-hmm. You made some bad calls and you continue to make bad calls. I mean, the other thing that struck me the other day was that Scotland is refusing to come out of the shutdown in Britain. And they were talking about having police officers on the border with England. (laughs) They've been told that they can go and you can run around and have holidays now. And and there was a Scottish MP saying, we want police checks. We don't want you to come here. Turn them back, send them back. (laughs) Like they did in Queensland. You know, they did Mm. it here. It worked for them. So maybe it's not such a crazy idea after all. Anyway, (laughs) let's hope everybody, wherever they live, starts to get on top of this whole thing quite soon. That would be good. Here, here. Right. Thank you very much, Sue. Pleasure, Jimmy. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, and would you still be listening if you didn't, you can subscribe free of charge on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and lots of other podcast platforms. As I said, it's free of charge, and that means the podcast will be delivered directly to your phone, laptop, or computer as soon as it's published. You'll find links at the end of the show notes, that's the related story, on the Flat Chat website. 
and the website is where you go to find the stories we've been discussing today, as well as about 10 years of archives and, of course, your questions and answers on the Flat Chat Forum. Just log in to flat-chat.com.au to ask a question or, even better, answer someone else's. Okay, thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon.